Beautiful job. Appreciate you all very, very much. Music's been wonderful. I appreciate the choir, appreciate the congregational singing, special music and all. It's been a blessing. And this morning, I'm very, very excited to share with you one more good report. Our friend, Brother Jim Kite, got a great report. No cancer. God should be praised. Amen. That's always worth celebrating, and I appreciate God's goodness and always something good going on, and God's always at work around us. I like what Henry T. Blackaby said. You, you remember the guy that wrote that devotional, Experiencing God? He said to say, where God is at work? No, no. He said, God is at work. Find out where he's at work and get involved. I'm glad he's chosen a place called Chinkapin to do some good stuff. He is to be praised. And this morning, I'm excited to start a new series with you. We're in the book of Romans. We're going to go through the book of Romans together on Sunday morning. Very, very excited about that because I believe this is one of the greatest and most important books of the New Testament. And so we're thankful for that. I'm going to give a bit of an introduction this morning in our introduction of the sermon about this wonderful, wonderful epistle. I would like to read the first seven verses with you. And this is nothing more than the greeting of Paul to the church at Rome. And I have entitled this greeting a gospel greeting because it is saturated with the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so if you found your place and you're able, I'd invite you to stand with your copy of the scriptures open. And let's honor and reverence the reading of God's holy and and infallible inspired word together. The Bible says in verse 1, Paul, a servant of Jesus Christ, called to be an apostle, separated unto the gospel of God, which he hath promised afore by his prophets in the Holy Scriptures, concerning his son Jesus Christ, our Lord, which was made of the seed of David according to the flesh, and declared to be the Son of God with power according to the spirit of holiness by the resurrection from the dead, by whom... We have received grace and apostleship for obedience to the faith among all nations for his name, among whom ye are ye also the called of Jesus Christ to all that be in Rome, beloved of God, called to be saints, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Father, thank you again for the privilege and the high honor to stand behind the sacred desk and to proclaim the truths of the Word of God that you've laid upon our heart. I pray that you would take this Word, this text, and seal it in our hearts and do something great and wonderful to draw us unto you. This is your holy Word. This is your perfect will for our lives. And I pray that you'd be glorified by everything said, done, or shared. I pray that you'd help me to decrease and you increase. May the words of my mouth, the meditations of my heart, be acceptable in your sight, for you are our strength and our Redeemer. And we ask all of it in Jesus' strong name. And all God's people said, Amen. You may be seated. As we begin this new epistle, this new study in the book of Romans, let me begin by a phrase that if you've been in any history class, you've learned. A phrase that said, all roads lead to Rome. You've heard that throughout world history. But in Paul's day, that little phrase was really a household name. It was a byword. It was a proverb to most people, but not to Paul. This phrase, all roads lead to Rome, was really a mission statement in the life of the Apostle Paul. His eyes, his heart were fixed on that ancient cosmopolitan city. From, all, from Rome, Paul could see 
how that he could reach the known world for Christ. Think about it for a moment. If all roads lead to Rome, then surely all roads lead from Rome as well. And so as people from everywhere in the known world would visit this commerce of trade, this cosmopolitan city, his desire was to be there to minister that he may get out the gospel. So those who come from all parts and all walks of life could receive the gospel, well, they could take it home with them. And therefore, the known world could be evangelized by the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so it was a wonderful plan, if you ask me. And although Paul may have been hindered in his personal travels to Rome, he was yet relentless to minister there. If he could not minister in person, he was not hindered completely. He would use a pen. He would pick up his pen and have the letter before you this morning labeled as the book of Romans or the epistle of the Romans. So he wrote this. It was written in Corinth. It was carried into Rome by the hands of the most faithful Phoebe. This letter was the masterpiece of the New Testament. It contains the whole future of Christian theology. It is God's method of saving sinners. That's why I love this book. God's method of saving sinners. It is a magnificent display of the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. This epistle has shaped the theology and the ministry of our true church fathers. It has brought the conversion of leaders like Luther. It has brought missionaries into the scene like Wesley. And through their conversions, brought wide-sweeping revivals. That excites me. And to say that this book, this epistle, has influenced the church of the living God by enormous proportions is really an understatement. And so I'm kind of excited. I don't know if you're excited to start this book. I hope my enthusiasm will bleed over into the pews. I want to be excited. I want to learn about it. You said, well, we're not going to get very far. You said, we're just having a greeting this morning. Well, I'm telling you, the greeting is a preview of all that this epistle contains. And it's pretty exciting to just look at the greeting this morning. As I said, it is a gospel greeting. And verse 1 says, Paul, a servant of Jesus Christ, called to be an apostle, separated unto the gospel of God. And so a word of greeting, Paul, when he wrote this letter, he had never personally visited Rome. And so naturally he needed to give a brief but a thorough description of himself, a bio, if you will. I know that when I'm called to go somewhere to minister, another church, another place, that seems like secretaries will always send me an information packet to say, give us something about your credentials, give us your bio. So most of the time I would send that there. I'm sure it's something that that congregation or whoever I minister is going to start praying over. They're going to have to ideal of who's coming to speak to us. And that's what he did. He gave a, a thorough bio, if you will, to prove his credentials, a reason for the audience to actually read this epistle and believe or trust in the words that he would share in this epistle. So I would be glad to tell you that in this greeting, he offers, first of all, a word concerning his salvation, a servant of Jesus Christ. A word here that Paul uses was very familiar in the ancient world. In the Roman world, he used the word doulos, which is a servant, a slave, a bondsman. There was about six million slaves on hand during that time in the Roman Empire. So that's something they knew, the terminology they knew. He told them that he was one who belonged to another. Therefore, Paul was declaring to them that he was surrendered his will for the will of another. He was owned... He was not his own. 
He told them that he'd been bought and paid for. And listen to this. He was happy about being a slave and a servant of someone else. And so a bond servant in those days would have their ear driven through. They would have a mark of their owner. He would tell them, and you'll find it throughout this entire epistle, that he had the marks on his body of the Lord Jesus Christ. He was bought and paid for, a servant of the living God. I would say, why did he start out with this? Because first impressions are everything. Does anybody know that or have learned that the hard way? First impressions mean everything. You never get a second chance to make a first impression. And that's what he did. Matter of fact, his impression made, the, made us aware that if they would close this book or they would continue to read his letter. You know, I don't know about you, but I read a lot of books. You can come to my office and see there's books everywhere. A lot of them I've read multiple times. Some of them I've read never more than one chapter. Why? Didn't get me. If you don't sell me in the first chapter, closed and it's collecting dust. You got one opportunity to reach somebody with a first impression. This man knew that there was no greater impression that he could leave on anyone outside of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the work of salvation in his life. I want no man to minister to me who is not saved or is not interested in the salvation of others. Now, I'm going to tell a very personal story, and I don't want you to think bad. I'm just telling you the truth. Many years ago, I was on a committee to bring forth a youth minister to our children. And on that committee, we met a fella, and the majority of the committee fell deep in love with him right off the bat. I mean, they loved him. They were ready to bring him. My responsibility within that committee was to organize a group of young kids to come, teenagers, so that this potential candidate could speak before them. And so I worked hard, and we've got about 200 children in our gymnasium. If you're wondering, that's a lot of pizza. It takes a lot of pizza to get that many teenagers. And I promise you that many teenagers can eat a lot of pizza. And so I was excited. We had children everywhere. Our gymnasium was filled with children and they brought this candidate and he spoke for over an hour and never one mention, never one mention of salvation. I voted no. And I gladly voted no. You have one opportunity to make a lasting impression and there is no greater platform than the gospel of Jesus Christ, the story of salvation. Why would you say all that? Let us follow an example that made God's holy word. Every day, you and I have but one opportunity, maybe. You may never see that individual again. Why? Because none of us are promised tomorrow. We brush shoulders with people we may never see again. We have one opportunity to make a difference in somebody's life. And the greatest way to start and to make a good impression is the gospel of Jesus Christ. He offers a word of salvation. I would say Paul was right on target. He offers a word concerning his service. He said, I'm not only a servant of the Lord Jesus Christ, but he said, I'm called to be an apostle. The word here means one sent. One sent for what? Glad you ask. One sent to serve, to serve God. And can I go on record and tell you there is nothing in this world worse than a lazy Christian. 
far worse, far worse than a lazy sinner. Far worse than a deadbeat of society who does not know God is a lazy Christian who's been called, sent to live, to share the gospel of Jesus Christ. We have no other purpose on this planet than to represent the Lord Jesus Christ. We are here to lift up high the blood-stained banner of the Lord Jesus. We are to live it. We are to talk it. We are to walk it. We are to be the epitome of who he is in us and through us. He said, I am a servant of the Lord Jesus Christ called to be an apostle. So those who are called unto salvation are called to do what? They're called to serve in the gospel ministry. You cannot separate serving grace from saving grace. See, I just don't believe those folks that say they're served and do nothing for Jesus. I've got all afternoon. I'm going to wait for about five or six more amens, at least a holy nod. Hey, you know, 99.9% .9 of Upper East Tennessee says they're saved. Really? I don't put any stock in anybody's word who does not line up with the word of God. A call to salvation is a call to service. You, you can't. You can't be called of God unto salvation and not serve him in some capacity or another. I just thank God there's a diversity of gifts. None of us have to do the same thing. Why? Because that would get dull and boring in a hurry. And I don't want to fight anybody for my pulpit. You do what God called you to do, not what somebody else is called to do. But you do it because God's called you unto salvation. And so that's what he's reminding us, that he's called to serve the Lord. You can't separate saving grace from serving grace. James, in his epistle, said it the best. He said, faith without works is dead. And Apostle Paul was called by God as an eyewitness to the resurrected Lord Jesus. And evidence from eyewitnesses are always, always most convincing. No one would ever, ever shake Paul, and it was proven. No one could ever shake Paul from his Damascus Road experience where he was a lost, hell-bound sinner on mission to persecute the church, and Jesus stopped him cold in his tracks. He saw the light, and then he lost his sight. But then he saw it. Maybe he could sing very well that song, Amazing Grace. How sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I'm found. Was blind, but now I see. He would never forget that experience that God stopped him, saved him, and his indebtedness was to serve God for all that God has done in his life. Should that not be our testimony? I'm still in verse one, by the way, if you've not seen my enthusiasm. One last thing in verse number one before we leave. He said, separated unto the gospel of God. See, I've dissected this just the way it is. He's offered us a word concerning his salvation, his service, but now his separation. He lived for the gospel of God only. Singleness of heart. He was focused and passionate upon the gospel. His one desire was to be successful in the service unto the living God. Ladies and gentlemen, if we want that, and we should, should be our passion. Why? Because everything else is going to end at the grave. You, you do understand that 99.9% .9 of your life is going to be lived in another world. Y'all got that? Oh, he, he, heaven or hell, I don't know. That's up to you. 
God paved the way. It doesn't really make much sense to drive our tent stakes too deep in this world. Because everything you do, everything you accomplish, everything that you live for apart from Christ will end at the grave. I believe if you're genuinely saved, you ought to start storing up some treasures in heaven. Don't go to heaven and look like you don't belong there. Some of y'all are going to chew on that till about 2 o'clock this afternoon. Don't go in empty-handed. Make your life count for the glory of God. Remember, it's not that hard. God said even a cup of cold water in my name shall be rewarded openly in that day. All of our service done with clean hands and a pure heart will be rewarded in the day of glory. And remember this. He said, I want to be successful and the Lord separated unto the gospel. Again, if you want to be that way, and we should as believers, we've got to be willing to burn all other bridges of the past life. Have nothing in your life that would draw you back to your former unconverted sinful days. I think the greatest example that I've ever heard of that was the Spanish conqueror Cortez when he landed on the shores of Mexico facing unbelievable odds. He knew that his men, after they seen what they had to face, would have a desire to retreat and run back home. And so he got his men out on the shore. They marched up to a high ravine and he gave orders to a couple that he left behind to torch the ships. So they set the ships on fire and pushed them out to sea. And while his men had marched, they come to that high ravine and he told them to look down. And as they looked over that ravine, they saw their only way of retreat burning up and sinking in the ocean. Therefore, they had but one mission, and that was to move forward and conquer. That was the heart of the Apostle Paul. All you've got to do is read the New Testament. You'll understand that. He had one desire. He would never go back to the former life. God saved him from that garbage. He wasn't going back. He was going to move forward and conquer with the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. I believe his theme song would say, the world behind me, the cross before me, I have decided to follow Jesus. This is a brand new year. This is a brand new year. Some of you need to decide to quit playing games. Quit fooling around. Burn the ships that lead to your past lives of sin and debauchery. Burn the ships that would draw you away from Christ and march forward and conquer with the gospel of Jesus Christ. Preacher, can we really do that? I believe that. I believe in the gospel. I still believe the word of God that says we're more than conquerors in Christ Jesus. I still believe the word of God that says greater is he that's within us than he that's within this world. I still believe that God strengthens us for every test. But my God my God shall strengthen us. There's a word of separation. Have you been separated from this world unto the cause of Christ? That's what that call means. There's a call of salvation. And there's a call to service that separates us from this world and its service to the service of Almighty God. Verse 2 through 4 in this introduction gives us a wondrous gospel wondrous gospel. Look at verse 2, which he had promised aforetime, afore by the prophets 
in the Holy Scriptures concerning His Son, Jesus Christ, our Lord, which was made of the seed of David according to the flesh and declared to be the Son of God with power according to the Spirit of holiness by the resurrection from the dead. Man, that's cram-packed. And you thought I was long on verse number one. Y'all buckled up yet? There's a wondrous gospel. Look at the promise of this gospel. I'm staying right in the text. The gospel had deep roots in the Old Testament. God's word concerning, or God's word to man concerning salvation of the soul, the redemption of men. He first spoke that through the prophets of old concerning repentance and redemption and reconciliation. What are you trying to say, preacher? Here's what he's saying. I'm not going to give you anything new. I'm going to tell you what's already been told of. Ladies and gentlemen, this does not need to be rewritten. It simply needs to be read. I would say reread, but I'm not sure most people's ever read it. It needs to be read. It is the gospel from front to finish. The prophets declared it's him. The last of the prophets proved it was him, showed him baptized him, made his path straight. Jesus himself, the last and final prophet, declared so. He not only told us of the gospel, he showed us the gospel. So Paul came on scene and said, I'm not going to tell you anything that's not already been told. See, that's what we need from generation to generation. You need to tell what's already been told. Amen. See, I'm not going to be here forever. If you've not noticed by the gray hair, it's getting more gray. Time goes on. One of these days, somebody else will stand and if Jesus tarries and trumpets the gospel. But ladies and gentlemen, it doesn't stop in the pulpit. There's children out here that need to be faithful to tell what their mom and daddy's been telling. There's grandchildren that need to pick up the torch. You don't need to reinvent the wheel. I'm not about that anyway. Why? What could you ever improve on what was already said, spoken, and done? The gospel still is effective of reaching lost sinners for Christ. We need to take it to the highways and byways. There's another generation coming up after the old people. Paul said, the old people told you, and I'm not going to tell you anything new because God's told me to tell you what they told you. That's what he's doing. Its roots are deep, deep in the Old Testament. Still repentance, still redemption, still reconciliation. And by the way, we see a revelation here. That which is Paul's calling, it's been revealed to him to take it and spread it around the world. Take that truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ that the Old Testament explained. You explain it in the light of Calvary. See, they had pieces. They said a Messiah would come. Paul said, I'm telling you, he did come. They said he would die. He would be delivered for our offenses. They said he'd be raised for our justification. <laughs> Paul said he did. And I saw him on the Damascus road He's alive and you can never shake my testimony or my witness for Christ. And ladies and gentlemen, if you've had an encounter with the resurrected Lord, nothing or no one could ever shake you of your confidence that Jesus lives. 
He lives. How do you know he lives? He lives within my heart. He has changed me from within and without. And by the way, that's still our assignment today, according to Matthew 28, 19, and 20. Go into all the world and preach the gospel. He didn't tell you to go out and talk about politics and world affairs. Most of the time that you waste is talking about stuff that never mattered or ever will matter. Don't look at me that way. You've never even solved one of the world's problems in all your discussions with your friends and circle of life. You've not even got the weather right. Don't feel too bad. They got Doppler and still can't get it. And I wanted a big snow. We got robbed. There's only one thing that we can ever be involved in conversation that makes a difference. You say you care about your family and your friends, but if you don't share the gospel, you don't care. Period. Go into all the world and preach the gospel, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Spirit. Now, I've got to stop there and give you some hope. We understand the Bible teaches us that we are not saved by baptism. Thank God for baptism. It's your first work of obedience. It shows the world you're unashamed of him who is unashamed of you. God will never give you your second work until you're obedient to your first work. It's an outward expression of an inward change. So what does it mean if he told us to go into all the world and preach and then baptize? Hey, listen, I don't have to be the sharpest knife in the drawer to get that one. God said, if you go, I'll give. If you go preach, I'll give you converts to baptize. It works. Ask the church of the living God for over 2,000 years who have been faithful in the gospel of Jesus Christ. Even during COVID season, you'll have somebody to baptize because somebody will find the gospel precious to their soul. That's what happens. That's still our assignment. And by the way, he said, Lo, I'll be with you always, even to the end of the age. Why would we not? It's a wonderful promise of the gospel. And then he gives us the person of the gospel. He says in this text, the son concerning his son, Jesus Christ, our Lord, which he had made of the seed of David, according to the flesh and declaring to be the son of God. So the person of the gospel is simply the son of God, the seed of man. What does that mean? In other words, Jesus was fully God, yet fully man. Theologians call him the infinite God, man. If it were not for Jesus, there would be no gospel. You know the word gospel means good news? We'd never have an opportunity or a reason to smile. Have any hope or joy in this present life or the life to come if it were not for Jesus. You cannot separate the gospel from Jesus and people who share and share and share from text and theological messages and never, never mention the name of Jesus does not in any way share the gospel because you cannot separate the gospel from Jesus Christ. Jesus is the gospel. The good news is that God had promised man a redeemer in the beginning, a savior, a promised seed from the line of David. And thank God, he stands on his promises. He delivers his promises. It was the sinless son of God that was crucified, buried, and rose again for our justification. That's him, and that's the gospel. Well, how do I share the gospel? I'm so glad you asked. Share Jesus, who he is and what he's done. That's the gospel. Ladies and gentlemen, this stuff's not rocket science. 
This world's in desperate need of not a deep theological message. They simply need Jesus. The simple gospel that saves lost men out of their lostness, forgives them, adopts them into the royal family of God, rescued from a devil's hell. They simply need Jesus. And notice the power of the gospel is by the declaring spirit of God. He said in verse four, and declared to be the son of God with power according to the spirit of holiness by the resurrection from the dead. Declaring spirit of God, the Holy Spirit of the living God has declared Christ sonship. Are you sure about that preacher? I'm dead sure. I can take you to the place. Anybody want to load up and go to the river Jordan? I think we ought to go. Let's go down to the river Jordan. John, it's amazing to me, was preaching a message on repentance. You know, I, years ago when I first started the church here, I, I got a little bit of a riff. I know you have a hard time believing that, preaching what I preach. But I had a bit of a riff because there were people saying, I do not like him preaching repentance all the time and talking about our sin all the time. And some folks got bent out of shape. I got happy. I said, fill up the tank. Make room at the altar. Some of y'all not getting it. I'll say it again. Fill up the tank. Make room at the altar. I thank God that our message is straight on line with that which made the book. That which not only John the Baptist preached, but the same message that Jesus preached when he came on scene. He was preaching repentance or repentance from sin. And you know what happened when that crazy dressing out of fashion Old Testament prophet did? I mean, the man in camel hair. Locusts between his teeth. Y'all read your Bible. He come preaching. Are you him? Not on your life. I'm not even worthy to reach down and lace up his shoes. He's coming. Heard the message. They believed. The Bible said they were repenting of their sins and he was baptizing them in the river Jordan. They were looking ahead because they believed the word of God and all of a sudden there was an interruption down there at the river. John stopped what he was doing and said, Behold, the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. I'm not finished. Jesus walked down there and told John to baptize him. Can you imagine what John felt like? The one that said, I'm not even worthy to reach down and lace up his shoes. No, baptize me. And as he did, something happened. That's one of those places that you would have liked to have been there. The Bible said they all heard and they all saw. And by the way, who was there? Glad you asked. All of Jerusalem, all of Judea and surrounding areas. I don't know where all the surrounding areas are, but I'd say that's a crowd. They all showed up. And all of a sudden when John baptized Jesus, the Lamb of God, the Bible said the heavens opened up. And they saw this declaring spirit of God ascend upon him like a dove. What does that mean? I really don't know. I've seen how they light. They'll just flutter. They're not very graceful. They'll just flutter down. I think there's a reason in that. I want everybody to see that. 
Can you imagine the anointing of the Lord Jesus Christ that was upon him in that river that day? That wasn't all. It gets better. The Bible said they all saw, but they all heard. What did they hear? The declaring spirit of God said, that's my boy. That's my son. This is my beloved son. Listen, in whom I am well pleased. Hear ye him. Listen to him. He's the way into salvation. He's the way, the truth, and the life. And no man cometh unto the Father except by me. Man, I'm telling you, there ain't nobody went home didn't believe that's who he was. That day they heard, they saw. And the Bible said the Spirit of God declares not only his sonship, but his supremacy, his holiness, his salvation. It was not only declared, but there was great proof given three and a half years later. You have it right here in the text. By the resurrection from the dead. Boy, you can say a lot. You can declare a lot. But when there ain't no grave can hold him. When hell couldn't contain him. When he rose on that third and glorious day. All heaven said, I told you so. That's my son. That's the son of God and God the son. There's salvation in him. Paul comes on the scene and said, I, I've come. I won't tell you who I am. I'm nothing more than a servant of the living God. I've been called to tell you what you've already heard. I'm an eyewitness. I've seen him. I know him. And I don't tell you what I know about him. What I got to say is wonderful. It's glorious. It's filled with the promise. It's filled with the person of the gospel. It's filled with the power of the gospel. And that is a promise and a person and a power that you can really believe in. And then finally, we'll go home by looking at verse 5 through 7, which is the work of grace. Verse 5 says, And by whom we have received grace and apostleship for obedience to the faith among all nations for his name, among whom are ye also the called of the gospel of Jesus Christ. To all that be in Rome, beloved of God, called to be saints, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus. Look at this. We see a work of grace. I see this work of grace in the call of Paul. Calling in Paul's life. Two different works. Two different callings. And I want you to get this. We're going to hear a lot in Romans. In every man or a woman's life, there is a call, a general call unto salvation. No man will ever stand before the living God and say, I, I didn't know. You're going to find out. In this chapter, you're going to find out that's not true. All men everywhere will be called unto God for salvation. And that's your choice. You can say yes, and it gets good. Or you can say no, and life is tragic. And eternity in a place called hell. But he calls all men. But there's no such thing as the general call into salvation that doesn't be followed up with the effectual call of service. You can't separate them. If you receive the call of salvation, you're given the call to service. Paul talks about the initial call unto salvation, and he talked about how it was an exercise of faith. He said, by whom do we receive grace and apostleship? Let's talk about the first one. See, God called Paul, and Paul trusted God. 
He was obedient to the call of God upon his life. Ladies and gentlemen, I'm here, I'm telling you, I don't believe in easy believism whatsoever. But I do believe that getting saved is simple. What are you saying? It's simple. When God calls, trust him. Obey him. Say yes to him. Follow him. Obey him. When God called, he trusted. Paul trusted the Lord. He was obedient to that call upon his life. And it's obvious if you look at his entire life, the life of Saul of Tarsus and now the life of Paul, the apostle. There is no other words to tell you except that is an exceptional work of grace. A once murderer, now missionary. I'll be honest with you, back then when Paul just got converted and we were here and they said, you know what, Paul's on one of his trips. He's come by Chinkapin. He'd like to share. I'd be scared to death. A man who held papers in his hand to persecute and murder Christians. Are you sure he's saved? What kind of change has he made? Are you sure you want him in here? Y'all looking at me like I'm crazy. All right, let me go down here to the local penitentiary and somebody that's on death row had just given their life to Jesus, but they're a serial killer and they say they've been saved. I'm gonna have them in the pulpit Sunday. Raise your hand if you're coming. Makes you a little nervous. Not that God doesn't save inmates off death row. Praise God, he does. I'm glad he saved a murderer and turned him into a missionary. That's an exceptional work of grace. I still believe in the gospel because the gospel has the power to make crooked men straight because if some of us knew some others past, we'd be just as nervous for you being in here. Why? Because it's no different. It was an exceptional measure of grace to save you, to change you. You remember where you were? I'm not going to put it on the big screen. You remember where you were? Some of you are in a place you would die if it were told. In your life, in your relationships, in your mess, your issues, your garbage, but God. That's why I believe in the power of the gospel. I'm glad he took an old hard case like Saul, turned him into Paul, put him in a pulpit, give him a pen, get him a set of walking shoes to go to the regions beyond and share the gospel of Jesus Christ. What could God do with you who has taken an exceptional work of grace and brought you out of the darkness into the marvelous light? God has changed you from without, from within. It's an unmerited favor. Grace, grace. And by the way, if you could only receive God's call unto salvation, repent of your sins, and exercise faith towards Jesus Christ as Savior, he too, he too would do a work like that in your life. And then it's an equal opportunity. Did you see that little word? I've got it underlined in verse 5, the end, all nations. <laughs> all nations. It's a universal call unto salvation. All races. All tribes, all tongues, all people everywhere. Even a scoundrel like Paul. 
And by the way, church, whoever Christ accepts at the cross, we must accept in the church. They are our brothers, and they are our sisters. If they name the name of Jesus as their Savior, no matter what race, what color, what creed, if they come in repentance before the living God and accept it at the cross of Calvary, they must be accepted in the church. It's an equal opportunity of faith. Finally, there's a commission of the people. It's a shared work. There's a universal call to salvation, and I believe that with all my heart. That universal call of salvation leads to a united commission for all those who accept the call. We have to work, and we've got to work together. And we must work till Jesus comes. It is not just the duty of the preacher and the deacons. It must be the delight, the passion, and the desire of all those who have born again to take the gospel and share this work. Finally, the claim of the people of God, it's overwhelming. I mentioned it Wednesday night. He said, to all that be in Rome, beloved of God, those who have been saved, called to be saints. That's a hard title because we seem so unworthy. I said Wednesday night, we'd just like to raise our hands and say, well, I'm just a sinner saved by grace. I think we like using that because we still like our sin. God said, you've got a better calling than that. He said, you're saints. Saints of the living God, a title that all those who come to Christ in repentance and faith, all those who received his gospel, we have a standing, we have authority, and we have a position in Christ Jesus. No, there are not a special sect of people within the church. There's no big eyes and there's no little U's. They're all saints of the living God who have come to Christ. Those are the ones that make up the church. And then Paul offers a prayer that is an invitation. You'll like this. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. So Paul ends this long, and you didn't realize this, but verses 1 through 6 is really just one simple, long, long sentence. And he ends this long sentence with a prayer that embodies an invitation. Grace and peace to you from God. Paul's desire is twofold. It should be the desire of every believer who we come in contact with, with the ministry of the gospel. His desire is for them and you to receive grace from God. Because unless a man receives grace, he'll not be saved. Why? Because it's unmerited favor. You cannot earn, you cannot work, and you do not deserve to be saved. For by grace, unmerited favor, are you saved. That not of yourselves, it's a gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. And so he said, I pray the grace of God. That's what we need. This world needs the grace of God. Grace, the favor of God. He said, not only the grace of God, but peace with God. What does that mean? To be reconciled to God, to be redeemed to God. If you're in sin, you're at war against God. Did you get that? I didn't make that up. It's in the Bible. If you're lost and yet in your sins, you're at enmity with God. That means to be at war with God. I had a preacher one time said this, and it kind of bothered me in a way until I thought about it. It was kind of a shock factor. He was talking about his life before Christ, and he said, when I was a God-hating, hell-bound sinner. God-hating, hell-bound sinner. And I thought about it, well, hell-bound sinner. But hell, hell I mean, God-hating, that's, that's a little much. I don't. But then I thought about it. Didn't matter if I was in church every time the doors were open. Didn't matter if I went to Sunday school and training union. I'm that old. 
Awanas. But I didn't know Jesus. I was at enmity against God. I was at war against God. My flesh abhorred God. I was a God-hating, hell-bound sinner. I was. And there was a war. Can anybody here describe that war? Oh. Pillow of stone. I wish that preacher would shut up. I'm dying. Why are they looking at me like that? Why is everybody happy? Don't you remember? I wish they would not sing that stanza. I can't get out of here quick enough. If I can just get away till next Sunday. Do you remember the day? When you had a little grace extended your way? You respond to that grace? You came with godly sorrow that worketh towards repentance? And you said, here, Lord, here am I. Would you save me? Would you forgive me? God, I need you. Would you take me to heaven? Man, I tell you what, I wish I had words to explain it. But all I know is the burden of my soul rolled away. All I know is I went down a bankrupt center. And I stood up as an heir. An heir to the king. That's what God does. And I didn't understand it. But I was in turmoil. And I was troubled. But in that moment, I found grace with God. The most amazing thing happened. The first time in my life, I had peace with God. I could lay down at night. And I realized that me and God were all right. Notice what he said. It's a prayer, but it's an invitation that you would find grace from God and peace with God. Be reconciled, be redeemed. That's a gift. And then it gets better. On top of that, you can have the peace of God that surpasseth all understanding. I only have one question. Who here would like some of that? In this trouble-filled world, tired of being ill and aggravated and not satisfied, empty and dying inside, how about a little grace? How about a little grace? How about peace with God? Wouldn't you like the war to be over? It can. And then while you're living, in the grace of God, you'll find out he just gives peace that surpasses all understanding. This world just don't even understand. It's available in Christ and in Christ alone. You come. Father, thank you for the privilege and the honor to share your word. I've done my very best to stay true to this text. And God, it's your word. I pray that you'll take it and use it that you may be glorified. Father, I am so flawed and my presentation and delivery is difficult. God, your word is perfect and it's good. It has the power to save and change lives. So God, would you do in this invitation what Paul prayed, that they could find grace and peace. Lord, have your way and we'll give you praise. In Jesus' name, amen.